2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in perspective. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me, at Jim Kramer. Okay, we know inflation's raging right now. We hear from all the companies that buy raw materials, from fatty oils that you eat to light, sweet crude that you burn, natural fruit or natural gas. It's all soared in price. This morning, we got a consumer price index number that uh, actually it documents it documents what I call the
1: house of pain
2: inflation with five point four percent increase. Despite the headline, the average is barely reacted. Down. Hey, it's down 107 points. s and slipping 0.35 percent. Nasdaq declining 0.38 percent. And most of the time, the Nasdaq was in the black. I mean, you know, this is important because we certainly saw this one coming. Still, prices for almost everything the consumer buys have gone up—from used cars because automakers don't have enough semiconductors to boost production of new ones, to packaging, to freight, and so many, so many other ones. So, okay, what do we do? What do you do when you see the biggest inflation spurt in 13 years? Do you run for the hills? Do you panic? Do you dive? Do you get under the desk because they're shooting you? No, simple. Buy, buy, buy. You buy big tech because it is immunized against the two scourges that Wall Street's worried about. Rising raw costs and the possibility of interest rate hikes from the Fed. If Jay Powell suddenly gets cold feet and decides to tape or even tighten ahead of the mythic plan, I don't think Powell's going to change the stance. But there are a lot of money managers who disagree, and they're more important than I am. And when we see a number like this, well, what? They sell a lot of other things. Sell, sell, sell. And they buy, buy tech. Because they want to be in. House of pleasure. Let me put it like this. There are some huge patterns that keep repeating themselves in this market. And if you get a sense of them, and I know I can help you see them, It's much easier to pick winners. It's the worldview. It's the stock whisperer. This spring, we had a furious rally of the industrials. You heard lots of people talk about the market pivoting from growth to value. But that was a canard. That was a dumb way to look at it. That confused you. That was just Wall Street gibberish. The reality was that beaten down cyclical stocks or industrials were coming back thanks to a resurgent economy. Take a look. This is the prototypical one. Freeport, McMoran Moran, FCX, largest copper mine on Earth. Is Freeport really a value stock? Well, wait a second. It was certainly a value stock here. When it was traded, 12 bucks last August. Okay, you got me. But then it rallied to 46. Hardly value, yet the people on TV kept saying it's value. Value here. Stupidity here. More accurately, it's a boom and bust stock that's hostage to the broader economy. And I've known that and I've lost a lot of money on it when I got too I got too complacent, which is what people did when it was up there. See, uh, as long as the Fed was eager to keep interest rates low, Freeport and its compadres could keep climbing. But then on May 12th, we got a similarly hot CPI number and the industrials all got obliterated. They really haven't recovered. Since then, money has flowed back into the highest growth stocks. Why? Because money managers figured that the Fed would have to slam the brakes on the economy to stamp out inflation. And hyper growth tech stocks are actually what works best during a slowdown because they do well anyway. It's all about anticipation here, not a concurrent reaction. This has a real bad feel to me. Sure enough. We got the same scenario this morning, albeit with a slightly higher CPI number. And what happens? Those same tech stocks were from the get-go because people remember the pattern from May 12th, at least at first, before giving up their gains. You know, sky-high inflation was pretty baked in. The last hour was what I call sloppy. I think the techs can resume their climb in the near future. Now, I want to look at some of the winners today, okay, because they really tell you a lot. I'm going to start with Alphabet, the parent of Google, all right? Now, we don't talk about this gem of a stock Nearly enough, even as it's up 45 percent for the year. Some of that's because the principals, the principals are painfully shy. Some of it's because they don't particularly care about ginning up good publicity. They don't think it does anything for them. Think about what happens to Alphabet when there's inflation. Oil and gas prices have skyrocketed. Right? You agree? But does Alphabet have an energy problem? I want you to do this after the show, not now. Go to the Google search page you visit a dozen times a day. Check out the bottom. No one looks at it. Carbon neutral since 2007. I don't think they have an energy problem. Does Alphabet have a problem with plastic and packaging? So sky high. No way. See, they got an asset light, brain heavy business model. How about rising freight costs? Oh, man, they hobbled so, so many companies are short truck drivers like all those consumer packaged goods players. Do they have to deal with the port slowdown? Maybe they got some important materials waiting on ships from China. I don't know where where one of the chief ports has been struck by COVID. Of course not. Alphabet barely ships anything. Are they bothered by the force majeure of the kill? elements in paint. Now, they don't paint anything. I mean, I've been out there. I mean, a lot of the walls are even they're not even painted. It's what I call a bonanza of non-inflation. Then there's Microsoft, which broke out today for much the same reason. I mean, you think something good happened here? No! It was more of a celebration of nothing as Microsoft has barely any meaningful raw costs. Now, we know that Coniagra, the packaged food company, had to cut numbers this morning. Why? large part because of rising costs, especially for edible fats and oils. Now, I am not seeing that kind of pressure at Microsoft. Maybe in their cafeteria? Now, we've heard many companies talk about a shortage of truck drivers. I doubt Microsoft has any drivers, except for maybe people, you know, maybe guys shuttling people around the campus. How about Apple? It's got a fabulous brand, perhaps maybe the best in the world. Best customer service. You know, it's got the highest score, all that stuff. Goldman Sachs reported today, and they spoke lovingly of their partnership with Apple on their credit card. Then later in the day, it was reported that these two have a buy now, pay later plan. Oh, do people love buy now, pay later? And it's in the works. I think Apple's got a lot of upside with minimal downside. Unlike Apple and Microsoft, though, it makes lots of hardware, which means raw costs are an issue. mostly materials. But Apple's customers love their products so much that the big wireless carriers have to subsidize the costs as they fight each other for market share. Do you notice T-Mobile's up again today? Have you noticed that AT&T never does anything? I wonder why that is. Randall Steven? No, never mind. That's the old days. <laughs> not much in the way of supply issues at Apple. They've been loyal and large customers for tons of expensive materials, but their products are seen as necessities, not luxuries. Which brings me full circle to the actual winner today, to PepsiCo. Ramon LaGuardia, smart fella. This morning, the soda and snack maker reported a monster, truly monster quarter. I was quite surprised when I saw it. I saw it at 6.03 a.m. I said, got to be a mistake, got to go through this, no mistakes. It, It did have plenty of inflation throughout its entire supply chain. So then how the heck could Pep have a good quarter? Simple. Because the other thing besides tech that works are beloved brands that allow them to raise prices ever so slightly and pass those higher costs on to the consumer the stuff will still sell. And that's a big reason why PEP could rally 2% today. And unlike the moves in Alphabet, Microsoft, and Apple, that move is going to have some staying power tomorrow, I believe. Numbers have to go higher. Still, not everyone is like PepsiCo. Many companies can't afford to pass their higher costs on to the consumer because people will rebel. And that's going on all over the country. By the same token, not everyone can handle a sudden rise in interest rates, which is what many money managers are betting on, too, even as I think it's very unlikely. So here's the bottom line. If you want one industry that's immune to both inflation and a Fed-induced slowdown, well, it's big cap tech. Meanwhile, we've heard from a dozen companies so far in the last few weeks of the kind of pre-earning season, and nearly all of them talked about how they had to spend lots of time and money going where? Going digital. So if you're really worried about this red-hot inflation number, why not just buy the digitizers? I'm going to Ryan in North Carolina. He's Ryan. Jim, how you doing? Ryan, I am real good. How about you? I'm doing great. Great. Um, I bought some Oracle last month when you tweeted about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, since, since then, I'm up 13%. Should I buy, sell, or hold? No, you got to hold on to that, baby. I got to tell you, Safra Katz, whom I personally congratulated because I am a huge fan, uh, I said, you got to come on. Now, now she's uh, publicity shy. She's the CEO but she is so darn smart. And what a job she's done. And the cop school, by the way, was terrific. So I say you stay long. That one. Let's go to Nick in Massachusetts, please. Nick. Jim, Nick. this company recently reinstated its dividend. And with people hitting the roads this summer for summer travel, is now the time to buy Cracker Barrel? The answer is definitively yes. I, I don't know if you've don't ever buy, been to one. Don't buy. I used to go to one when I dropped my kid off for uh, uh, to play in sports. And I always had that. Vanilla, they had the pie. It was a cheesecake pie. with No, it was an actual apple pie with a layer of cheddar cheese and then a giant heap of vanilla ice cream. And that's how you get to 210 pounds. Okay, worried about inflation? Buy the digitizers. Oh, man, my... No, I lost it. Oh, man, money tonight... Stocks have been attacked in this market, but with so many companies making deals, what separates the winners from the losers? I'm taking a closer look. Then wondering what's next in the oil patch? I'm going off the charts and drilling into the energy sector and 39 million households are set to receive a child tax credit this week. But if it, it, it's anything but child's play when it comes to trying to make you some money. I'm going to tell you which stocks can see a boost from the unsuspecting stimulus and you're going to like them. So stay with Kramer.
0: Visibility at indeed.com/slash mad Just go to indeed.com/slash mad right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash mad Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Okay, so last Thursday, we got calls about not one, but two different SPACs. And although both of them were from serial SPAC issuers, I didn't I really didn't know enough about their deals to give you a considered opinion. You deserve that. So I promised to do the homework and we circle back. We got to be very selective about SPAC stocks because so many of them, frankly, are garbage. Voiced on the market by greedy scam artists. But there are some genuinely good ones. You can find them. And uh, you know what? If you're willing to do the research, there might be something of value. So let's get to it. First, Mark in Florida wanted to know about GS Acquisition Holdings 2, GSA, the second SPAC created by Goldman Sachs, which reported today. Immediately, I knew this one deserved a closer look. Why? Because I remember that GSA GSAH 1 ticker. Years ago, long before the SPAC attack became ubiquitous, Goldman raised the original GS Acquisition Holdings. This was a SPAC led by Kramer fave Dave Cody, formerly the uh, CEO of Honeywell, and also my erstwhile neighbor in New Jersey. The original GS acquisition was created in 2018. They took their time finding a deal, which is what you hope for. But after a year and a half of searching, in December 2019, they merged with a really interesting little industrial company called Vertiv, and that's V-E-R-T-I-V, that makes power, thermal, and information technology infrastructure solutions. The original GS acquisition closed on the Vertiv deal right as the pandemic hit last February, and Dave Cody became chairman of the combined company. Although Vertiv initially got hammered by COVID, it went on to become one of the best post back stories around. The company's put up great numbers, and the stock spent the last 15 months chugging its way higher, from 13 when the deal closed all the way to 27 and change right now. Dave Cody continues his winning ways. In short, the original GS acquisition wasn't some bogus get-rich-quick SPAC. It the opposite. It's probably a textbook example of a SPAC deal done right. The initial investors have really tripled their money, and everyone who bought it along the way has a nice profit. So when Goldman Sachs created another SPAC last summer, GS acquisition holdings Two, they had a lot of credibility. Just like the original, this SPAC took its time searching for a deal. Then, a little less than a month ago, they found one. GS Acquisition 2 announced a merger with Murion Technologies. That's a medical and industrial company that makes equipment for radiation detection, measurement, monitoring and analysis. They're buying Murion from a private equity firm, keeping the CEO and bringing in an industry veteran as the chairman. Larry Kingsley used to run Paul Corp, the filtration company, for selling it to Dan in 2015. Really smart guy. Now, Miriam is the number one player in the vast majority of categories where it participates. I love that. company gets 40 percent of its sales in the medical and laboratory space, with another 40 percent coming from the nuclear industry. The rest comes from various industrial end markets. They spent the last few years diversifying away from nuclear power. Smart move, because I, I worry that industry is, is dying. I'll be dying slowly, uh, even though it's, it's pretty good. But it's just not going to happen. There's nothing spectacular about Miriam. It's a, a real company with consistent mid-single-digit organic growth, steadily expanding profit margins, very unlike the recent SPAC deals we've seen, but reminiscent of what the original GS Acquisition Holdings did when it bought Vertiv. Given how that one worked out, you know what? I'm pretty darn optimistic about this one. Goldman's once again found a sleepy business to buy. Then they'll use the cash to clean up the balance sheet and install an experienced industrialist chair. Of course, if you like Miriam, there's no need to rush to buy GS Acquisition Holdings, too. The stock's been stuck at 10 bucks, and and, and it's a 10 to change. And it's been there for a while now. Oh, it's not going anywhere. But you got my blessing to buy this one. Just keep in mind that it might be dead money until the deal closes. But boy, this is how it's done. Okay, now, not to cast this purchase in the next one, but I got a real problem here. Sebastian in Florida. Ask asked me about Churchill Capital Corp. 5. That's CCV. And I said I'd get back to him. Now, this is the fifth SPAC from Michael Klein's Churchill Capital. He's actually done eight of them at this point. The thing about CCV, though, is that they haven't announced any deals yet, although there are some rumors. But before we get into the specifics, let me give you Churchill Capital's SPAC record. The original Churchill SPAC merged with a company called Clarivate, an analytics play, and it's focused on scientific research. Now, that was back in 2019. Since then, the stock has doubled. Now, that's clearly a success, even as Clarivate's been a lousy performer this year. Unfortunately, since the SPAC boom got rolling, Churchill Capital's deals have been a lot less successful. Their second major SPAC deal involved a healthcare tech company called Multiplan. That's been a disaster. With the stock now trading just below seven bucks, Churchill Capital Two merged with a digital learning outfit called Skillsoft in a deal that closed about a month ago. Too early to draw a definitive conclusion here, but it's not off to a great start with the stock currently at nine in change. jeez. Then there's the Churchill Capital Four. That's the infamous Lucid Motor deal. Uh, here's a, a stock that skyrocketed to around 60 bucks in anticipation of lucrative electric vehicle merger. Then we saw the terms of the transaction and the stock immediately plunged to the mid-20s and broke so many hearts. Why do I bring up these past deals? Because I was asked about Churchill Capital Five, which at the moment is just a pile of money with a manager. If you invest in this thing, you're betting on Churchill's track record. In terms of his namesake, this feels less like World War II Winston Churchill and more like the younger Churchill, yes, the man who presided over the disastrous Gallipoli campaign, one of the worst military blunders in history. But it's a peak Mel Gibson movie. Now, last month, Bloomberg reported that Churchill Capital Five was in talks to merge with Thrasio. That's a company that acquires private label brands with small business owners operating on Amazon. Thrasio is backed by a private equity firm, Advent International. I know Advent. They're good guys. And this story says it could be uh, worth uh, $2 billion, maybe even $2 million plus. While that could be a promising target, you should never, ever buy a SPAC before you know the terms of the deal. A rumor is not enough. I mean, remember what happened with Lucid Motors, please? You got to viscerate. Here's the bottom line. Oh, man, do you ever have to be selective when you're dealing with the SPACs? And that means you don't go near something that's still just a pile of money, especially when the sponsor has what I call a mixed track record oh and pardon me for not knowing these off the top of my head there's now so many specs that i can't possibly keep track of them all for the lightning round but you wouldn't ask if you didn't care and if you care then we have to care too stick quick
0: take your business further with the smart and flexible american express business gold card
2: We got another seemingly red hot CPI number up 5.4 percent in June. But more than half of that comes from either weaker comparisons versus last year or, you know what, the rising price of used cars. Now, remember, that used car figure is all about the semiconductor shortage tamping down the production of new cars. So used cars go up in value. Not long ago, though, everybody was worried about commodity inflation. And for the most part, that story has joyously collapsed. More evidence that Fed Chief Jay Powell is right and knows what he's talking about when he says this is all transitory and there's no need to raise interest rates anytime soon. Remember, he wants to put as many people to work as possible, despite today's smoke and CPI number that we talked about at the top of the show. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner. She is a brilliant technician. She's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading, if you want to understand how this is done. And she is our resident commodities expert on mad money. We've had some stunning commodity rallies this year, but one by one, we've seen them go bust as producers scramble to bring more supply to what's clearly an overvalued market, just as it should be. I mean, first it was lumber. Remember, that was a huge. It's given up all its gains. Then copper in early May. Wow. Peak. Then grain, Soybeans. Wheat. Then a historic rally and lean hog futures succumbed to, to just sharp selling. Finally, they got the gold and silver. Silver Reddit favorite uh, after last month's Fed meeting. Right now, Gardner points out that crude oil and natural gas are really the lone holdouts. But she thinks oil is less the last man standing and more a dead man walking. This year, we've seen a classic boom and bust commodity cycle. And as far as she's concerned, there's no reason why oil should be immune to the same forces, dragging everything else down. Now, I told you over and over again that high prices are their own cures, demand destruction. When commodities get expensive, companies boost production, and that new supply pushes prices back down, especially as demand kind of peaks when oil goes up so high. At the moment, we've got a situation where oil producers are still being disciplined about production. While the industry has experienced a post-pandemic demand spike. Now Garner is adamant that we're not seeing an N an, or any organic oil shortage here. Instead, the major oil producers from OPEC to the shale place here in America have created this artificial shortage. They've been holding back on drilling also holding back on completing wells. But the higher oil goes, the more likely it is that these companies will open up the spigot. Garner thinks that's already beginning to happen right now. People don't see that for the most part, but she's looking at it. U.S. oil producers laid off many field hands in January. Joe Biden was sworn in because they knew a Democratic president would be less friendly to fossil fuels than the drill baby drill Trump administration. But now many of those oil workers are being called back because when prices rise, more supply always comes in. And I've also noticed that the rig count's starting to go up. Now let's go to the charts here. Okay, it looks complicated, but give me a second. This is the oil futures. We've got front month futures, December, uh, December 21 futures, December 2022 futures, and December 2023 futures. Notice the futures contracts with the most distant expiration dates, all right, also have the lowest prices. See that? Front month futures are in the mid-70s, but December 2023 futures – are in the high 50s. So just imagine it kind of like this, all right? What is this about? It's called backwardation when the present price of an asset is higher than the price far in the future. And when you see backwardation, it's a classic bearish tell. Although I have to tell you, candidly, we've had this for a long time and it hasn't worked. She's saying now it's going to. It means buyers and sellers believe the current lack of supply is temporary. Garner has another way to look at this. The near term futures plummeted last spring and then surged this year. That's the price the world is watching. But the more distant futures contracts tend to be more steadier, much less emotional. I've often asked, why don't these big uh, users lock these prices in? And that's exactly what they're doing, by the way. That would be like airlines. On top of the backwardation in the futures market, check out this chart of the seasonality in West Texas crude. I think this is very compelling. Historically, oil tends to peak in July. All right. Right where we are right now. It was up today. But you would bet that 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 would be that. Basically, we're past the peak of summer driving season. Garner thinks that we could pull back. It could pull back to earth right now. Over the last 15 years, oil prices have had a very hard time holding their summer gains beyond mid-July. This should be. I mean, I don't want to say today. No, right now. All right. Now, look at this. Look at the weekly chart. This includes data from the CFTC's what's known as Commitments of Traders Report or the COT report. This is the data that shows how, how small speculators, large speculators and commercial hedgers are positioned in the futures market. I find it very useful. We care about the large speculators. That's really the ones that we want to key in on. Okay, Institutional money managers. Right now, the big money is already aggressively bullish on oil, and we don't like it when there are too many bulls because it means there's no one left to buy. Large speculators hold a net-long position of roughly 500,000 futures contracts. Now, get this. That's the most positive they've been since 2018. Gardner points out that historically the oil market tends to run out of buying power when you get a net-long position in the 500,000s. Let's go for some proof here. Going back to 2015, large speculators have gone above 500,000, Get this, 500,000 net long contracts four times, all right? Here's one, okay? Uh, then uh, here's two. Here's another one, another one, yes. We're talking a $16 decline in 2017, a $14 decline in 2019, a monster $38 decline last year. The one exception is 2018, where oil prices held up just fine until large speculators built up a 700,000 net long position. So this could still go higher, right? And then oil collapsed to $35 a barrel. All right, now what we're going to do is we're going to zoom out to the monthly chart, all right? While COVID shutdowns created an environment of extreme volatility last year, Gartner says we've seen this pattern before. In 2015, the price of crude dropped sharply from the $60 area and only bottomed in the high 20s about eight months later. That's disastrous, OK? This is really important. So you're looking at uh, it took oil two and a half years to recover to the mid-70s in 2018. Remember, 2018 was strong again, uh, at which point the, the price swiftly collapsed back to the high 30s. I know it looks confusing, but suffice it to say that it doesn't last. As Garner sees it, the action over the last year and a half is pretty similar. Crude dropped from the 60s to the low 20s and even went negative. Remember that in that one-day cash market? Although this breakdown only took four months rather than the eight like in uh, 2015. Then within 15 months, we'd rebound into the mid-70s. That's where we are right now. However, despite the fast pace of the rally, Garner thinks the outcome could be similar to what we saw in 2018. She says there's a significant ceiling of resistance at the 7980 dollar level right here. Meanwhile, the relative strength index, or RSI, that's an important momentum indicator is approaching overbought levels. As soon as it crosses that orange line, it's overbought. We're kind of betting that that's what's going to happen. That's where rallies often run out of juice. For oil, the Relative Strength Index hasn't been able to break out above the 70 since before the financial crisis. So we're right at the cusp of where it, uh, in the last 13 years, where it could be. Even then, things didn't end well. If the ceiling at $80 a barrel holds, Garner's expecting a minimal pullback to 60 The current floor support if oil falls below 60, well, she thinks it could be moved toward 40. However, if she's wrong, and, and, you know, remember, technicians always reserve this. If she's wrong, we break out above 80 and Garner believes the next target would be 105. Remember what I said, you're going to start here in widespread chatter about 100. That's that. OK, here's the bottom line. And I think this is really important because what she's really making is just a, a huge call of the top here. The charts, as interpreted by Carly Garner, suggest that oil is about to run out of steam. Producers have been disciplined about holding off on new supply, including the Saudis and the Russians. But the higher the price goes, the hardest it is for them to resist, including the Permian. That's in Texas, which is why oil rallies tend to be self-defeating. And Garner's betting that the self-defeat begins right now. Sean in New York. Sean. Hey, Jim. I have a quick question on Tesla. Sure.
1: With I said, what companies holding Bitcoin in their corporate treasury, taking a dip yesterday and today, do you feel in the near future Tesla will fall below the 600 level with the Bitcoin price being down and Elon in court?
2: Well, you know, I kind of wish you weren't doing all that stuff. Um, And the stock got hit because, as you correctly uh, point out, people are getting nervous about that particular position. I am with Tesla because I think they make a great car. I think the Y is doing well. Goldman Sachs had to raise numbers today. I do think that that Elon's a genius. I've been with him at a very low level, and I'm sticking with it. All right, look, tonight's chartist thinks oil could soon run out of steam. When I say soon, I mean like now. Remember, oil rallies do tend to be self-defeating. Okay, much more mad money. 39 million households will begin receiving monthly bank deposits from year end. Where will parents be spending their tax credits? I've got some ideas that can make you money. Then i got a message for President Biden when it comes to China. You're not going to want to miss it, and it's not sweet. And all your calls, rapid fire. Tonight's edition of the lightning round, so stay with Kramer. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, do you know that nearly everybody in this business acts like the stimulus is over and done with the checks are spent. Expanded unemployment benefits run out at the end of the summer. If they haven't been cut off by your governor already. That's all she wrote, correct?
1: Wrong! They know nothing.
2: Arguably the most important part of the stimulus package actually only kicks in in this week. The massively expanded child tax credit that will give millions of eligible families some big checks from now through the end of the year. I don't even know if people know they're coming. And this has got huge implications for the stock market and for the back-to-school season. How much money are we talking about here? Okay, the child tax credit was rolled out in the late 90s. Going into the pandemic, eligible parents would get $2,000 per kid per year. As part of Biden's rescue plan, they raised that substantially. It's down $3,000 for each kid six and up, and $3,600 for each kid under six. They also overhauled the program so the parents would get half of that money in cash as an advance on their taxes through six months uh, monthly payments in the second half of the year, which is now. While the program is means-tested, it cuts off for couples making more than $170,000 a year. Those checks are going out to a huge number of people. 39 million families with about 65 million kids. So that's 88% of the children in America. In other words, tens of millions of parents are about to get $250 or $300 checks for each kid. And those checks, well, they, every month through the end of the year, they last. This is possibly the biggest social program we've seen in decades in this country. It's like something out of Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. Many Democrats in Congress want to make it permanent or at least extend it to 2025. I don't know if they have the votes. From our perspective, though, what matters is that families with children are about to have a lot more spending money courtesy of the federal government. And it's coming right in time for back to school season. So we got to ask, where does that money go so we can make money? Right now, consumers are already in great shape. I mean, they've been spent the last year paying down credit card debt and stockpiling cash. You heard that on the, on, from Jamie Dimon at the J.P. Morgan Conference Call today. As the world goes back to normal, there's tremendous pent-up demand for apparel. Once those child tax credits are clear, most families, well, they got the necessities covered, which means we're going to start seeing discretionary spending. Now, I've got four ideas that I think work for you and work for you tomorrow morning four companies that should benefit from a child tax credit fueled back-to-school season. Remember, we were down today. That's the opportunity. We're not overbought anymore. I really like this. And we're going to start with one that's frankly so obvious and that we know really well man money. We'll start with Levi Strauss. The iconic Kramer fave denim play. In any other year, Levi's would be already be a quintessential back-to-school play. Twice a year, Piper Sandler puts out a teen retail survey and according to the latest one, denim's having a huge resurgence among young people. We've heard the same thing from J.P. Morgan's Matthew Boss. He's the best retail the business, who has really been laser focused on the importance of this tax credit to the economics of retail. Or as CEO Chip Berg told us when we spoke to him in April, the brand is hot. Sure enough, when Levi's report again last week, It shot the lights out, delivering a monster 14 cent earnings beat off a 9 cent basis, higher than expected sales, too. Even better, better. Magic gave you a terrific forecast for the second half. They're talking about 28 to 29% sales growth as the world goes back to normal. Now, Chip seemed even more, almost unnaturally, bullish about the long term denim cycle than I have ever heard him when I interviewed him last week on Squawk on the Street. Chip was unbridled in his enthusiasm. Plus, the company's been a major beneficiary of what I'm calling waste inflation. If you spent the last year and a half stuck inside wearing sweatpants, you may have found out that you sized up. Well, let's see. Let's see. When you try to fit in your old jeans, it ain't working. More business for Levi's. lines changed on 35 percent of us during the pandemic. Isn't that extraordinary? This is a company that emerged from the pandemic stronger than ever. Even though they just reported a magnificent quarter, the stock barely budged. It closed at 28 bucks on Thursday. It's now at 2870 after that great quarter. Selling for just 19 times next year's earnings estimates ahead of the stimulus. I think you should buy it right here, right now. Before those checks start hitting uh, bank accounts. Remember, we just got the numbers last week. There's no new info. I like that. Child tax credit winner number two. We've had them on the show. It's called American Eagle Outfitters. Now, we started recommending this one last October, thanks to the aforementioned Matt Boss. Since then, American Eagles soared more than 140%. I know you think you missed it. I think the stock's had a lot more room to run. I think it is just plateauing, getting ready for its next move here, which is why we recently bought it for the Chattable Trust, which you can follow by joining the Actualers Plus.com Club. I got a call next week. It's going to be a major. Focus for me. Like Levi's, American Eagle has a ton of denim exposure, but more importantly, they do own one of the hottest brands in retail. I am talking about Aerie. That's A-E-R-I-E. Ask your kids if you don't know about it. Sells women's apparel and underwear, cozies. They also have a popular new sub-brand for activewear, the aptly named Offline. Management's been guiding for Aerie to hit $2 billion in annual sales in 2023. But it looks like they could hit that number within the next 12 months. These guys have had quarter after quarter. Well, even though American Eagles had a monster move, the stock remains cheap, given, I think, its tremendous record of consistency. 16 times next year's earnings estimates, it's a steal. Next up, one I don't talk about nearly enough, but I do a lot of work, in. it's called Dick's Sporting Goods. Kids aren't just going back to school in person. They're also going back to sports which means their parents need to buy them all sorts of athletic equipment. While Dix did a great job of adapting during the pandemic, the stock's been on fire since the great reopening narrative took hold. We spoke to outgoing CEO Ed Stack and his successor, Lauren Hobart, real smart, Feb. one. They told a terrific story. Since then, the stock's up a cool 46%, in part because Dix reported the best quarter of any retailer we follow near the end of May. The company earned $3.79 per share. Wilson was only looking for a buck twelve. Same Same-store sales were up 115% on Come One. Well, year over year, remember what happened last year. Management nearly doubled their full-year earnings forecast. So while this stock has run tremendously, I don't think it reflects the strength of these numbers, especially since Dick sells for just 12 times earnings. I'm calling it a buy, buy and a buy. Finally, if you want to bet on the child tax credit without trying to pick a particular retailer and you want income, I'm going to give you the gold standard. How about Simon Property Group, the real estate investment trust that owns some of the best class A shopping malls on earth? Remember, the class B malls really suffered. The A's came out on top. Simon's actually in better shape now than it was before the pandemic. There's a last man standing effect where both consumers and retailers are consolidating around the best physical shopping destinations. Plus, some of Simon's been joining up with other mall owners to buy up some of the worst tenants out of bankruptcy. I like this. For example, last year, they joined forces with Brookfield Asset Management to buy JCPenney. Those struggling stores were a huge headache for Simon. Now the company can do whatever it wants with them. They've teamed up with authentic brands. Really smart guys. Uh, to do some of the same things with Forever 21, which at one point was so hot. Brooks Brothers, classic, Lucky Brand. Oh, my God. I mean, remember that? And uh, Eddie Bauer. Lucky Brand jeans, by the way, I think is finally timed perfectly. Then Simon recently picked up a bunch of high quality malls when it closed in the acquisition of Talbot at the end of last year, just in time for the great reopening. And they renegotiated that deal for a better price. I think people will take their tax credit, okay, and spend them at the mall, which probably belongs to Simon. Doesn't hurt that they boosted the dividend last year, and this is why I really am emphasizing it. Juicy 4.4% yield. Wow, I like that one for all people seeking income. The bottom line, for the next six months, parents all over America will get a series of child tax credit uh, checks. And I have to believe a decent chunk of that money flows to our favorite retail place, like Levi's. American Eagle Outfitters, Dick Sporting Goods, and a real estate and investment trust, Simon Property Group. I would pick one up. These are too good to ignore with this money coming to all those Americans. Stay with Kramer. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master J. The chill man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up
1: when Mad Money returns. It is
2: time! It's time for the lightning round. What's up, records? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skeet? of the lightning round. Coming Tony in Florida. Tony. Hey Jimmy, thanks for having me. I'm a longtime fan, but I've been with you since day one. Love, it. Yeah, Love that! Love that! Love that! Next to me. Okay. I got two kids sitting next to me that are Brazilian. Um, a pair of Brazilian puppies, and their names are Mr. Chill. And T-Bone, and they want to know whether we should keep Win, A-M-D, and Blackstone. Well, maybe they asked in a triple, a triple player. I like Blackstone very much. I like the like the housing he play. I think Wynn, I keep buying a fractional alerts. It does seem to go down every day, but I don't care. An advanced micro is a screaming. Bye, bye, bye. Why, Because the zog feels about to close in the quarter's very good. Chad in Wisconsin. Chad. Hey, Jim. Big booyah to you there. What's going on? First forward. First time caller, long time listener. First time, a long time. All First time, a long time. First time, long time. Go ahead. So the question is, is a very unique situation right now. With all the micro and
1: macroeconomic drivers for steel prices at this point in time, I recently rang the register, as you had mentioned, due during sizable profits. What's your short term
2: and, say, two to eight month uh, thoughts on the ticker CLF Cleveland? Right, we really only have whole- two major steel producers in this country. We've got Nucor and we've got Cleveland Clubs. Now, both of these stocks have been under pressure. Why? Because people feel like the economy's about to roll over and we didn't get the infrastructure package. I think Cliffs is, split. it sells at like four times earnings. You now, Bethlehem Steel sold it two times earnings, two years before it went bankrupt. Cleveland Cliffs is not going to have that happen. Four times earnings, I want to buy the stock and put it away. Matt in Connecticut, Matt. Hey, hey, booyah, Jim. Thanks for having me up. Oh, it's my pleasure. What's happening? So I was looking for a good dividend yielding stock. I stumbled upon this company called Golden Ocean. The ticker symbol is G-O-G-L. Right, right. Well, it's a shipping company, Norwegian shipping company, and I got to tell you, well, uh, it's it's up too much, and the 2.5% yield ain't going to help you if we decide that there's a slowdown in world trade. Mark and is Mark. Hey, how's it going, Jim? Not bad, thank you for asking. How about you, Mark? I'm great. I, uh... I have a stock for you. Okay. And I uh, was
1: wondering if it's a Booyah or a buy stock is CRISPR,
2: C-R-S-P,
1: CRISPR Therapeutics. Buy, buy, buy!
2: Bit of both. Now, it's a very speculative stock, and since it's 100 plus points, a lot of people can't take that kind of downside pressure. But I think that you can buy a half position, uh, because I do think that it has always been uh, wondering to be whether it would be a takeover stock. I need to go to Ross right now. Ross in Texas. Ross. Tim, how are you doing? I am doing well, Ross. How about you? Doing all right. Uh, long time fan of your show. I'm uh, you. calling about Lamb Research. Okay, uh, Lamb Research is the, kind of the brainchild of Rick Hill, who sold the Vellis and uh, Lamb. And I've got to tell you, I think Tim Archer's doing a great job. They are the solution. They, they have the best intellectual property when it comes to making semiconductors. And I'm going to say buy it. I know it's moved a great deal. I wish they'd split it, but they're not going to. Idris. Idris in Maryland. Idris. Hey, Jim, big Maryland booyah to you from me and my son, Miguel. I thought that Maryland was going to be the best state. I'm not kidding. I thought Maryland was going to be the best state. I didn't think it was going to be Virginia. I thought it would be Maryland. How can I help?
1: Well, I got a stock waste energy
2: company, uh, Covanta, secret symbol CVA. Want to know if I should buy in on it? Yeah, I it used, to be good, it used to be good yielder. Um, I think it's okay. I am not going to give it to high side. I think that there's other other plays that are better. I would even buy Chevron. I would. I swear. I'd buy Chevron more than I'd buy Covanta. And Chevron's trying. Mike Worth's trying. Hey, can we have one more, place? Yes. We're going to go to Frank in Michigan. Frank. Jimmy, chill. I'm sending you a fully vaccinated booyah. Well, I really like that. Thank you very much. How do we make some money together? Okay, well, I know you're a huge fan of Costco, $180 billion cap, P38, but... Are we going to throw any money at BJ's with a $6 billion market cap and a PFC? Yeah, BJ's is pretty good. Now, I used, to be, I used to go to BJ's, but I'm such a Costco guy. But you know what? BJ's is a buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, the China issue is complicated. But Kramer cuts through the noise and asks Washington the one question investors need answered. When it comes to China, what will it be? Stick with Kramer and stick with Mad Money.
2: I was getting dressed this morning, listening to the usual crackdown stories out of the People's Republic of China. You do know, it hit me like a ton of bricks. We need a consistent policy for dealing with the Chinese government. Right now, I'm not sure what we have. Are we trying to pressure them into actually respecting human rights? Are we pushing their government to let our businesses compete fairly rather than for- forcing them into joint ventures with Chinese outfits, some of which are made up? Are we warning our companies about Hong Kong like they really need that warning? I and mean, what exactly are we doing? It feels a little like that scene in Goldfinger where we're on a laser cutting table asking the Chinese Communist Party if they expect us to talk and they shoot back that no, they expect us to die. Except this time we don't know anything about Operation Grand Slam beyond tonight's All-Star Game. Maybe there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, but it sure seems like our government's doing nothing to respond to the crackdown in Hong Kong. Beyond uh, beyond a patchwork of half-baked sanctions and blacklisted companies, it's as though the White House can't decide whether to stand up to China or to play nice so that our companies don't lose business over there. Unfortunately, we can't really do anything about Hong Kong. It's been part of China for 20 years. But now the Communist Party, they want Taiwan, too. Recently, President Xi called for complete reunification right at the top of this big speech. In the middle of this, it sure feels like our government has no serious contact with the PRC. I mean, none. No talk. No insistence. no. Worry. I mean, nothing. This, frankly, is insane. I know President Trump was ham handed in his policy toward China, but the first thing he did was tell Xi that Taiwan is off limits. Don't even think about it. I don't hear that kind of talk now. No, look, to be fair, practically the moment Biden was sworn in, he sent a carrier group to the South China Sea. And our Navy is regularly sending ships through the Strait of Taiwan. But the White House isn't articulating a clear policy. Japan has been more forceful about using the military to protect Taiwan. Just last night they talked about it. And their Constitution literally doesn't even allow them to deploy troops overseas. So it's meant for us. Now, apparently China does not have a storm on the beaches plan for Taiwan. They're not crazy enough to risk a shooting over the U.S. Uh, not when it could easily go nuclear. But China does have the ability to put the political squeeze on Taiwan if they think Biden won't respond in kind. For example, do you know the Chinese are bankrolling opposition parties right now in Taiwan? Because the Taiwanese government is too pro-independence for their taste. They can conduct military exercises to disrupt shipping. That's a real blow to Taiwan's export-driven economy. So what can the Biden administration do right now today? I want them to come out strongly, Biden is she. Explaining that the flyers have to stop, the attempts to choke Taiwan's economy won't be tolerated any longer, that this isn't only about commerce, it's about America defending a trusted ally. Is that a real policy? Well, it's a darn start. It's time for the White House to take the China-threatened hegemony seriously. We need to stand up for Taiwan, block bogus Chinese IPOs that refuse to follow American securities laws and, most importantly, threaten to cut off China's ability to export to the American market if the Communist Party refuses to behave. Otherwise, Goldfinger wins in this one, and it's much bigger than Fort Knox. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
0: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC business news updates wherever you get your podcasts.